Hello and welcome into another edition of Prospects to Pros. I am Kevin Turner from the About Them Cowboys podcast. I'm filling in this week for Chris Burke, who is out. And joining me now is a man I've worked with uh, many times in the past. It is Dane Brugler, who is getting a little bit closer to releasing the beast. Hello, Dane. How are you today, man? Good. How are we doing, Katie? Hopefully, uh, in these uncertain times, you're, uh, everything's going well for you down there in Dallas. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm just kind of locking myself in, and it sounds weird, but I've had – it's almost been like a distraction to do all this, you know, keep working on the draft and keep looking for prospects and things like that. So it's almost been, you know, a welcome thing that this is happening during the draft, if it's going to happen at all. It sucks that it's happening, but look, the the right thing to do is to stay inside and stay That's away a, from people. Yeah. So, yeah, and I, I'm excited to get this guide out. So, because I've, I've heard from a lot of people saying, yeah, we're quarantined, we need things to do, can't wait for the draft guide. And so, I'm hoping on Monday is when uh, it's going to be officially released. Uh, it's sent, all the files are sent in. Um, you know, the, the editors have them right now. And so, we've got three editors over at the, at the Athletic going pouring through each page. Uh, and it's understandably it takes a while to get through all of it. But uh, hopefully, on Monday is when we're going to uh, release that baby. And for anybody that doesn't know, if you have your athletic subscription, you get the guide for free. Uh, it's, uh, it, I promise you, it's the most extensive draft guide that is out there on the market. And uh, if you have a subscription and you read us uh, on the regular, you're going to get it as part of your subscription. So really excited to do that. Um, and I'm excited for this podcast today because we're going to we're going to hit on some some draft buzz, what kind of what we're hearing. We're going to hit on some day three prospects, uh, kind of our favorite guys at each position. Uh, and so there's there, there's a lot going on, even though, you know, the pro days, the workouts, all that's been canceled, but still plenty to talk about today. Yeah, and also if you're not an athletic subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash prospects to pros for 40% off your athletic subscription. With that, you can get the beast. Uh, I think the beast is going to be kind of like the Tiger King of, you know, draft content <laughs> where people are going to correlate it with being locked in and, you know, reading it. I love the beast, Dane. You do an excellent job on this every year. I don't uh, I, I don't change my rankings or my board, but I do love seeing your copy of the beast and then kind of just kind of cross-checking my positional rankings and seeing, hey, where were we wrong here? And maybe sometimes I'll go back and say, well, Dane's got this guy graded way higher or way lower than I have him. What am I doing wrong here? Let me go watch this guy again. So I enjoy doing that uh, each year just to kind of make sure that I got guys right. And sometimes we agree and sometimes we don't. And that's the beauty of the thing. So I'm looking forward to that, to that coming out. So uh, I thank you for your work every single year doing this. You work your butt off doing this, and uh, it's appreciated by not only me, but I think uh, football fans uh, in the world everywhere really enjoy your work and look forward to it. So congrats on getting it done for another year, and uh, and we'll look forward to seeing that in the next week or so. Yeah, no, I can't wait. And, you know, I, I all the well wishes on, on Twitter has been awesome. But, uh, you know, I, I thank everybody out there who, um, you know, make it make it possible. So, um yeah, you know, with that, I, you know, I kind of wanted to touch on, you know, you're down there in Dallas, uh, and you know, I think it's right around this time every year that we kind of get a feel for who the Cowboys might be targeting. Uh, you know, I remember it was what two years ago is Leighton Vanderesh. Uh, it was right around this time where I think it kind of became clear uh, to me, at least, uh, that I, I thought that's the direction they wanted to go. Um, and then last year. We kind of knew Tristan Hill. That was that was the apple of their eye. That that's that's the direction they were going in, for better or for worse. 
this year, I tell you what, it's it, it's uh, it's a little tougher. Uh, but based on people around the league that I've I've talked to, all signs point to two players uh, as being the Cowboys' targets there at seventeen. But two players who I don't think are going to be there. First, it's edge rusher Calavion Chason, uh, who I think pair him. Uh, on the edge uh, with Demarcus Lawrence, and I think that's exactly what the Cowboys are looking for. And then uh, the second guy would be Florida cornerback C.J. Henderson uh, to replace Byron Jones. They need some help at corner. Uh, first off, KT, how do you feel about those two options? And then would you agree with me when I say that I don't think that either the two, while they might, I, I, I do believe 100% that they are the top two guys on their uh, wish list for 17 but I don't think that they will be there. Would you agree or disagree with that? Yeah, I would agree with you. And it's just amazing how the pass rushing class just drops off a, a tad right after Chase Young. Um, so will teams reach for Chase on? And, and maybe reach is not the right word, but will he go a little higher just because of, you know, just a, a little bit of um, – it's kind of a scary edge class, I would say, after Chase Young. You start getting guys that you're less sure about. Henderson – I don't see that unless somehow Okuda falls out of the top five and starts pushing down a little bit. I don't really see Henderson being there either. You know, the guy, you mentioned those two guys, and and the Cowboys in free agency got Gerald McCoy and Don Terry Poe, and they're going to have Tyrone Crawford coming back. So it looks like they're going to have some some bodies on the interior. But I I thought uh, Javon Kinlaw would be a guy they would be into as well. But he's another guy who I would sit there and go, well, it's not really a guarantee that he's there at 17 either. So – I'm very interested in the, how the Cowboys are going to play this. They have to have help at defensive end. But behind Demarcus Lawrence right now, I don't even want to count Randy Gregory until he's back in the league. Um, you start to look at, okay, Dorrance Armstrong, they let Kerry Hyder go in free agency, and not that he's a, you know, a big name anyways. I mean, Tyron Crawford can play defensive end, but they do need pass rush, and they need a cornerback one, man. they got to have that after letting Byron Jones go to the Dolphins. With Chase on, I, I've come around on this. You know, if you would have asked me this probably a month ago, I probably would have said, "Man, I really think that let's let's, let's get our eyes on the prize on Ken Law. Uh, what do we need to do? Uh, could we move up and go get Derek Brown?" Um, but you know, defensive end has become just as big of a need as cornerback for them. So, um, I, I also think you know it is interesting how it's clockwork about this time of year. It's not just the Cowboys. I'm sure there are other teams around the league kind of find out who they're eyeing, you know, around April 1st. Um, but I, I wonder what happens if those, you know, if that dries out. Uh, mm-hmm. There was rumors that they got a video chat, you know, ready to go with Fulton. Uh, Trevon Diggs from Alabama, I think they probably like a little more than Fulton. I wonder how nervous they are about the cornerback position. And, and you know, you telling me this just now about Chason, maybe they're a little nervous about defensive end as well. Yeah, and I, I think that uh, it will be interesting if those two guys are off the board. Like, I think we both expect. Uh, like, Chason is just guys that have that athletic profile that can scream off the edge. They've got that yeah. body bend. They've got the length. Uh, that you know they can consistently capture the edge, threaten the corner, and force the, the quarterback to move his feet. Those guys just don't last very long, and so that twitchy athleticism that he brings, not to mention the versatility. Uh, LSU would drop him in the coverage; they'd put him up o- over the slot receiver. I mean that that athletic profile is really going to be something that uh, is going to have Chase on go high. 
I, I don't. He's probably going to go somewhere in between, say, ten and sixteen. Uh, would be my guess. Um, I, I would have a hard time seeing the Falcons uh, at the very least pass on him. Uh, they, we know they're in need of a pass rusher, and so the Cowboys might be in a situation where they have to make a decision. Is it worth trading up? Is it worth packaging our third rounder to move up three or four spots to get the guy that they want, whether that is chase on or it is Henderson who Henderson six, one, four, four athlete, four, three athlete. Um, I wish he was a better finisher, uh, a little bit more of a playmaker, but when you have that type of ability at corner, uh, yeah, that's something that can, that, that's really going to translate to the next level. So, in in your mind, uh, KT, would it be worth packaging a three to go up a few spots and ensure that you get your guy? I don't think I want to go up f- for this team right now who just has to have, but with their salary cap and assuming that a Dak Prescott deal gets done, I do not want to give away any premium picks unless it's for, let's say, Derek Brown falls to me. I just don't have Chase on in that group. You know what I'm saying? Like of guys I would move up for. And um, I've been called a coward for saying that, but I would rather just sit at 17. Maybe we can get on the phone and try to go back if we can do that. But sometimes you can't do that, right? But, you know, I've got a, I've got a certain um, certain tier of players that I'm moving up for, and Chason is not in that group. Um, and look, I, I like all the things you said about Chason. I, I do like Chason. Uh, I like him fine. I there's a difference in liking a guy at pick 10 or pick 12 than liking a guy at pick 17. And I feel like where the Cowboys are picking and what they need, uh, aside from minimum wage, you know, defenders, um, I think they're going to have an option at wide receiver. They haven't filled out that slot wide receiver. Their wide receiver three is wide open. If some of these guys start going, Chase on maybe jumps up there. Maybe CJ Henderson goes, maybe another team gets nervous and wants to go get a cornerback. Um, you know, it's less about to me, like Ken law, probably not going to fall to you. Some of these names aren't going to fall to you, but do the wide receivers fall to you? If maybe you've got a separation of Judy and lamb, maybe you've got your eyes on them or rugs even, you know, maybe you've got your eyes on those big three. Maybe one of those guys fall to you and you say, you know what, I'll see if I can get edge or cornerback later in the draft. And I, I, I just, to me, I don't think the Cowboys are in a position as a team to be giving up a top 100 pick for someone who doesn't fit the mold of an Okuda or a Derek Brown type of guy. Difference maker, right? I, yeah, I, maker. I can I can get on board with that. Um, I, I think, okay, my final question for you on the Cowboys before we move on to some other buzz. Uh, it, it, let, let's say that those two guys, Chase On and Henderson, who, like I said, I think are the top two. That's, that's option one and option two. Uh, or maybe one A and one B for the Cowboys. Um, if both are gone, it's like, let's say Kinlaw is gone as well. Um, let's say those three options are, are are no not available. Who who do you think they turn to? And say they t- can't trade out. Nobody wants to trade up to seventeen. They're stuck there. I I go to two names, uh, and they're both part of or were formerly part of the Alabama secondary. Trevon Diggs and Xavier McKinney. Those are the two names yeah. that I think would be options, you know, 2A and 2B. Um, Diggs, tall, long, um, really good athlete. Um, Stephon Diggs, little brother, former wide receiver, plays the ball really well, has some instincts. Um, technically uh, speaking, he's pretty raw. Uh, he, Alabama just kind of let him be an athlete and cover, and he was able to do that. 
McKinney is, um, I don't know. Me personally, I don't think there's a first-round safety in this draft. I like McKinney, but he's he's just he's not very good in coverage. He's okay in coverage, but he's not. I wouldn't say above average. Uh, throw on the South Carolina tape and try telling me that Xavier McKinney is a uh, a guy that can cover. I mean, South Carolina got consistently found space, and so. But I do think he's smart. I do think character wise, he's good. I think he's uh, a very good run defender, and I think that he can cover tight ends, cover backs. He's just not a type of safety that you're going to trust man coverage against a slot receiver or anything like that. And not most safeties aren't. Uh, that's not who they are. But if I'm drafting a safety in the top twenty, I'm kind of looking for that. So I do think that Diggs and McKinney. That that's kind of where my guess would be where the Cowboys would uh, move their focus. But I don't know. What do you think about those two names? I agree. And in fact, I've heard some buzz that they do like Trevon Diggs. So you throw that into the mix. Uh, They don't have a history of really investing a lot in the safety position. So I don't really see them spending a first or second round pick on a safety. I just, uh, that'd be something that you haven't seen in a long time. And I realize with Mike McCarthy, it's a bit of a new, uh, you know, a new regime a little bit, but still Will McClay. It's still Steven Jones. It's uh, a lot of the same scouts you know, stayed in there as well. I just don't see them doing that at safety. Diggs, I would not be surprised at 17. I think they know they're in a bind at cornerback. I think they, they know that, you know, they need Cheeto to step up. Cheeto Awuzier from Colorado. They've got Jordan Lewis from Michigan and Anthony Brown from Purdue. I think Trevon Diggs would be the pick there over McKinney. And they also signed, you know, HaHa Clinton Dix, you know, mm-hmm. in, the, in free agency, which is a bit of a surprise given that, Mike McCarthy and Green Bay just kind of gave Ha Clinton Dix away a couple of years ago, the year that McCarthy ended up getting fired. So I just don't see them doing that. Uh, Diggs, you know, I, I know Fulton gets mentioned in that boat a little bit from LSU. I just, to me, I think Diggs is a. I've got Diggs graded higher than Fulton. You know who I've graded me higher too. than both of them, and you may not. You, you're probably going to disagree with me here. Is Jeff Gladney from TCU? Like I like him no, a I lot. No, actually, I I do. I my top four corners are Akuda, Henderson, Gladney, Diggs. So it sounds like wow. we we see those guys pretty similar. Um, Gladney, uh, the thing that's going to hurt Gladney is the injury stuff. Um, yeah, it just had a procedure on uh, on his knee. Um, that that's going to hurt him a little bit in this in this corner class. But I'll tell you what this this corner class. There's a lot of differing opinions. Some I've talked to some teams that believe AJ Terrell from Clemson is a, a top three corner in this sure. class. Uh, there's a lot of Jalen Johnson fans. Uh, Christian Fulton, who you mentioned, uh, Igbenogany from Auburn is uh, somewhere in that probably early second round mix. Um, and you know we could go on and on this corner class. There's a lot of uh, a lot of worthy names, and Okuda's I think the clear one. I think C.J. Henderson's the clear two, and then I think it really that's where it gets jumbled. And there's you know you I, we could probably talk about eight or nine names in that next tier uh, of the cornerback position. So a lot a lot of interesting names. Um, I so Cowboys they're in your neck of the woods. Browns they're in my neck of the woods now. Uh, now that I'm in back in Northeast Ohio yes, and. Sir. A little bit of buzz on trying to figure out what the Browns are going to do. That you know, a new regime, new head coach, so it's always tough. Uh, they've been active in free agency, but and I think if you ask people that follow the draft, uh, they would tell you that maybe the least surprising trade on draft day would be the Dolphins going up for Tua. That seems to be talked about the most. But the draft day trade that would surprise me the least on draft day. I think it'd be the Browns trading back from pick number 10 
picking up an extra pick and then drafting Boise State left tackle Ezra Cleveland. All right. Uh, obviously, the bat, the last name there matches up pretty well. But uh, I, I say this for two reasons, uh, and the last name's not one of them. First, trading back, accumulating picks, that's, that's exactly what a new front office is looking for, especially one that is so analytically based as Cleveland. You know, the more premium picks that you have, that equals better odds to adding quality talent. Uh, and then second, I know how much they like Ezra. I mean, he tested outstanding. The tape is outstanding. Uh, even with Jack Conklin now in the mix uh, at right tackle, left tackle remains a huge need. So uh, now, do they like him enough to trade away from maybe one of those top tackles that could be there at 10? Jendrick Wills, Tristan Wirfs, maybe Mekhi Becton. Um, I, I don't know that. And, you know, the Browns, they might be in a, a, a tough spot or they might have to make a tough decision. Uh, if one of those tackles is still there, but they also have a trade offer on the table to move back, say, 10 spots or so, uh, you know, it, it's obviously a risk when you trade back. If you're trading away from talent, but then you're also hoping that the guy you want is going to be there um, when you trade back. So, uh, you know, I, there's a lot of intrigue there. I, it's, uh, you know, it's probably still a long shot for that to happen, but Cleveland trading back for Ezra Cleveland, to me, that would be the least surprising move uh, on, on day one of the draft. Yeah, I have uh, Ezra Cleveland as my fifth offensive tackle. Um, okay. You know, Wills works. So the, after the top four or the big four? Andrew Thomas and then uh, – I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He's my sixth. I have Josh Jones fifth. Uh, okay. And then Ezra Cleveland sixth. I like Ezra Cleveland a lot. And I, I was thinking about him being kind of a guy – and I know Austin Jackson from USC sometimes gets thrown in that conversation – of just guys who have six guys go in the first round at offensive tackle. I think he's the guy, you know, um, and you know, maybe, maybe there's someone else that uh, a team gets excited about, but uh, and Austin Jackson being one of those guys or Josh Jones from Houston, obviously has potential to go there. I was doing an exercise the other day with the, the guys on the draft show and Cleveland was the team that I had at pick 10. We we're just kind of alternating teams. We all had, you know, we're every four picks basically. And I picked, Jedrick Wills at the time because he was still there. Um, and it, I said it might depend, you know, kind of a comparison of how high do we have Jedrick Wills or Tristan Wirfs graded or whoever graded, you know, of those top four guys mm. compared to Ezra Cleveland plus what other pick you're getting out of it. Because I love the idea of trading back if you're Cleveland and adding some more uh, pick inventory if you like Ezra Cleveland. Because Ezra Cleveland to me is a guy who just kind of does everything well. I mean, I think he's. Uh, not going to be like a mauler to me, at least what I've seen on tape. I, I don't see him as like a, a good run blocking mauler, but I think he's perfect for, you know, kind of that Baker Mayfield style. And Baker Mayfield, you know, Lord knows he's going to get out of the pocket and extend plays and run around a little bit. And I think Ezra Cleveland's pretty good for that. I think he has some pretty good range, you know, when he's blocking at left tackle or at left tackle, or, or, or I guess it wouldn't be right tackle because Conklin's there. I think he does a really good job of just kind of, getting wide and, and doing a good job of, of mirroring the pass rushers. So I, I'm a fan of Ezra Cleveland if they were to do that. And and the fit is great too. Like you said, Cleveland and Cleveland would be perfect. <laughs> yeah, it would. And it, with, with Cleveland, uh, it, anybody that watches his film from this past year, I would say to keep in mind that he suffered a turf toe injury in, in the opener against Florida State. So um, any tape you're watching, keep that in mind. He played through it the entire year, uh, only missed one game. And uh, the the coaches at Boise State, they just rave about the guy. Um, 
the fact that they had to like keep him out of practice because uh, he wanted to be out there. He was ready to tough it out, play through the pain. Uh, the head coach, Brian Harson uh, raves about how much, uh, how much he loves him. Uh, just the, the, the team first mentality, the toughness. Uh, and that's the kind of thing that if you were the Browns, that, that you're, you're looking for that. You're looking to build a roster full of smart, tough guys who are athletic. And that's what Ezra Cleveland brings. Um, and so it's I, he is going to be an interesting guy to watch on on draft day. I think he's he's going to come off the board on day one some at some point, I, I, in my opinion. Um, it's just trying to find where that fit will be. And like you mentioned, there's there's going to be six, maybe seven offensive tackles drafted uh, in that first round. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see the order that they come off the board and, uh, you know, where, where that run run goes. I mean, we, we've talked about the top four, uh, all the time and, you know, will those, will that hold true in terms of the first four off the board? And then when's that next tackle, uh, come off the board, how early. And so it, it'll be really interesting to see how, uh, how that all plays out. Um, so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Didn't cut you off. But no, also, where they're at at ten, you know, whatever happens with Tua and Herbert, you know, at quarterback. But like, if someone's going to get antsy and say, "Oh my God, I have to get up and get Jordan Love now," or mm-hmm. you know, it, 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 because the quarterback deficiency is going to happen, the drop off is going to happen somewhere. So they're in a good spot at ten to move back if they need to, because there are going to be someone. It feels like someone's going to fall. Um, and I don't know who that would be. You know, what if Derek Brown got all the way to 10 somehow, which would seem a little crazy, but what if that happened? You know, the Browns mm-hmm. are in a good spot at 10 to move back. Yeah. And, well, and, and to that point, it's really going to be interesting this year with trades just because, you know, I, I don't know if we're going to see more trades or fewer trades this year because of everything going on this past month uh, with uh, with the virus and how that affects uh, philosophies and how the teams plan to attack this draft. Uh, if, if we see more teams trying to add picks for next year, which I think makes sense, but you also have to have teams willing to give up picks uh, for next year. So I, it's really going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. We're, we're going to see trades. That's definitely going to, that's a, you know, a fabric of the NFL draft, uh, especially in the first round. But the, what we see more or less in past years, I think that's, I think you could make a case uh, either way. Are the Browns an organization? I know you mentioned the analytics. Um, and they they maybe weigh in analytics into the equation maybe more than other teams do. Um, does that kind of lead to kind of having your mind up a little bit more when you do rely on the analytics a little bit more? Because, you know, my whole thought on this process is there are going to be some teams that for years, like the teams that have the deeper scouting staff and can get the most information, can get right. the most, collect the most phone numbers at the combine, you know, like everything that goes into all of this. You know, the team right. that has the deepest scouting staff and really can get a lot, lots of, uh, you know, contributions throughout the, the deeper scouting staff, it feels like those teams are going to have a bit of an advantage to the teams that kind of have one guy just kind of calling a shot or, you know, those teams that have a, a less uh, invested in the scouting side of things might have less information this year. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, it's obviously weird that, you know, teams and scouts and evaluators, they're, they're creatures of habit. You know, they have a certain routine about how they attack this thing. And this year, everything's thrown off. And so it's, it's time to adjust. And, 
Um, you know, it's, it's no different than, you know, in the, in the fourth quarter when you fumble in your own territory and, uh, the opponent's able to, you know, take a quick lead when you thought you were, you know, uh, going to just melt the clock. You know, it, it, adverse, adversity always happens in football. And so you have to be able to adjust and, um, sometimes, you know, on the fly and, 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 uh, adjust to what's happening out there. And that's no different with scouting this year. And I, for some of these teams, it'll be interesting. Cleveland, especially because they basically hired a brand new staff, front office and coaching staff. And so there's a lot of new voices that are being thrown together at once. And so I, I think it's it's a little bit of an unknown. Um, you know, Paul DePodesta is kind of running things over there. Andrew Barry's familiar uh, with the organization and how they do things and both uh, DePodesta and Haslam. So there's a little bit of uh, some familiarity there. Uh, but, you know, some of not all the scouts are he's familiar with um, some from the previous regime. Um, you know, the coaches, uh, you know, even if you know, you're familiar and comfortable with them, you still haven't worked with them on a day to day basis until recently. So there's there's still some unknown there. And with everything going on this this past month that they're even more so. So I think that what the Browns are doing, just like every team, they're on the phone, they're talking to players, they're setting up um, you know, these these Skype calls, these Zoom calls where they're basically doing a lot of board work. Um, you know, they're they're getting their coaches on Skype with uh with an Ezra Cleveland and they're going over uh protections and and scheme and things like that where just to get a better sense of who he is and you know what he knows and um it, it's it's definitely an interesting part of the process that I think some teams like you like you mentioned are more equipped for uh than others. I also want to weigh in, too, on something that you're talking about. I don't know if there will be more or less trades. I can't really remember a draft in recent memory that has so many teams with multiple first-round picks. I mean, you look, the Dolphins have Mm. three picks. The Raiders have two. The 49ers now have two after the DeForest Buckner trade. Uh, The Jaguars Jaguars have two. The Vikings have two. I mean, there's five teams that have multiple first-round picks. Um, So that could lead to a little more movement as well with teams just kind of playing around with their inventory. Uh, That's that's fascinating. And I, I tell you, one of the key things to watch for on draft weekend is who, which team is going to be trading back uh, to load up on picks for next year. And it's basically going to be who is going to get a head start on Trevor Lawrence. And I, to me, if I had to pick a team, it's probably be the Jaguars. Uh, you know, Gardner Minshew. You know, they're going to sounds like they're going to give him this year to kind of prove that he can be the guy. But in the back of your mind, if you're the if you're Jacksonville. You are going to load up on some picks uh, next year to give you that ammo to go into next year's draft. Uh, if you don't already have a top three pick, you're at least within striking distance. So you can, if you need a quarterback, if Minshew doesn't prove to be the guy this year, you can go up and get your quarterback uh, with with Trevor Lawrence. So that'll be kind of an underlying yeah. storyline to watch in, on, on draft weekend this year is which team is trying to position themselves for next year. Can I, okay, if I don't do this now, I may never do it, Dane, uh, because Chris will be <laughs> okay. back next time. And I know we're going to get to some of these, you know, day three favorites that we have, some some guys mm-hmm. that we really like on, on day three. Uh, but I was thinking about this the other night, and I put it out on my Twitter account, I believe. So we really don't know what's going to happen. I mean, there's, there's, there's more uncertainty than there's maybe ever been. <laughs> um, but let's say – hypothetically something happens with the virus, maybe it came back or whatever, and they didn't play football this year. What happens mm-hmm. to the draft order in 2021? I realize how mm-hmm. um, 
how that might seem like a very unimportant question, uh, given you know what the world's going through. So, but I promise you, I'm not being flippant about COVID nineteen at all. But I was just in my head thinking about, well, are the Patriots going to tank this thing up for for Trevor Lawrence, or are the Panthers going to try to tank for Trevor Lawrence? Are there teams doing that? And since you just kind of went there, I was thinking, if there happens to not be football in 2020, which is possible. How does the 2021 draft order shake out? Do we just ping pong ball this thing up or how does that work out? No, and to be honest with you, I have no idea how to answer that question because uh, it's never happened before. We, we've never had anything close to that. And it would be it would be very strange. And obviously, like the guys at the college level, they'll, they'll still be in that draft. It's not like it, because they're missing a season, they have to go back to college. The NFL rule is you have to be three years removed from high school. Yeah. So as long as they're three years removed, it doesn't matter if this college football season would happen or not. They would be in next in the 2021 draft. Um, and that would make things pretty crazy uh, without having any tape from 2020 uh, without, you know, like you mentioned, the order. I have, I have no idea. Uh, let's just let's can we both just kind of agree that we can hope we never have to answer that question. Absolutely. Uh, that, yeah. Cause that means we have football this year and that's, I, I, I mean, it's kind of, I, I, I'm a, I'm a big Cleveland Indians fan and I'm kind of, I'm like wondering, okay, if there's no baseball this year, like what, how does that affect my, I'm a, uh, you know, being an Indians fan, sure. Francisco Lindor, he's only got a few more years with his team. <laughs> potentially. I don't know if they're gonna be able to resign him. Like, well, so what's that do for this year? Is that just a wasted year that we, we could have had? And, you know, the Indians window is shrinking. And so, okay, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll we'll, we'll get back to football, but I mean, that, that there's a lot of different things up in the air, but yeah, like you mentioned, there's, there's more serious things going on right now. And, you know, we're just hoping to bring a little bit of uh, you know, stuff to get, you know, the the negative stuff off people's minds right now. Absolutely. Sorry, I just had to throw it out there to you, the my draft guy. You know, yeah, because it's interesting. No, yeah. it's it, you hope we don't have to think about that, or yeah. you know, we don't have to uh, really well, figure that out. Uh, but it's NFL's gosh, the one be... league that's kind of just kind of going. You know what? We're doing the draft here, and no, we're planning yeah. to start the season. And you you kind of get from these other leagues are just kind of going. Um, all right, everything's on the table. I mean, baseball is talking about. Are we going to do the World Series at Christmas time? You know, the NBA may yeah. move opening day next year back to Christmas Day. You know, like there's a lot of things and everything's on the table. So, you know, this is something I'm sure someone in the league has thought about. But, uh, you know, let's not talk about that. Let's really get hammer in, hammer home this this year's draft first before we get yeah. too far ahead of For ourselves. Sure. <laughs> yeah, and that's and like we like we said at the top. Let's I'm excited about this. Uh, let's go position by position, and we'll pick out. We each pick out one player uh, that we really like on day three as an underrated guy, um, somebody that's maybe not getting enough love, somebody that, uh, you know, they're on day three for a reason, but we would bet on them um, sticking in the NFL, uh, you know, carving out a productive career. Uh, so, for example, uh, at quarterback, I would go with uh, Florida International's James Morgan. That's a guy who... I liked it last summer coming into the year because uh, I know a few scouts had him pretty highly rated or they had him as a draftable guy. So I made sure and did my homework on him over the summer. I really liked what he had to offer. He was hurt uh, a little bit this year, but uh, just reviewing his film leading up to the Shrine game, I liked what I saw. I liked what I saw at the Shrine game. I, I wish he were more consistent with his decision-making, but I think he's a smart guy. I think he's very, very tough, both physically uh, and mentally. And I like his arm. So uh, to me, that's the type of talent that I would roll the dice on 
uh, in the fifth, sixth round. Uh, again, there's a reason we're talking about these guys as day three players. They have their warts. They have holes in their game. But uh, if I'm going to bet on a player, James Morgan would be it for me at quarterback. Uh, and I know you haven't looked at all the quarterbacks. So let's start at running back. Which day three running back has caught your eye? Well, uh, Anthony McFarland from Maryland is a guy I like a lot. I like that you know he only has 245 carries on his name. You know, a redshirt sophomore, so I, I like that his usage is not crazy high. Like, like if, for instance, Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin. You know, you watch the tape, you like him, but you can't help but go, he's got a thousand carries like already <laughs> on his body. Like, you can't help but not take that into account. With McFarlane, you see him he's just kind of shot out of a cannon every time he touches the ball. And I like that he runs with a little bit of patience. You can see him kind of wait for the holes to develop with blockers. And, you know, pass pro is going to be a bit of an issue with him. He's, he's 5'8", you know, but he he's willing to get in there and try to get in the way. His, his technique isn't great. And also, he didn't have a ton of ball production uh, as a receiver out of the backfield. Just 17 catches last year. But when you do see it, you know, on the very minimal reps you see, you do see a guy who's attacking the football. You see a guy who's catching the ball with his hands and and snatching it out of the air. I, I just think he's got got a chance to be a fun little day three guy who is, you know, he's young and he doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on his body. And he's got some burst and explosiveness to his game, but also has that you know, really good ability to just kind of wait and hit the right cutback lane against the grain, you know, um, for being a, being a little guy with a little bit of burst. I, I like Anthony McFarlane, you know, uh, quite a bit, man. No, I like that pick. It, he, he is one of the more fascinating players in this draft. You mentioned the 263 uh, touches that he had in college. He had under 250 touches in high school. Uh, this is a guy that's he's been banged up a little bit, and so yeah. it's kind of a double edged sword. Like, there's a reason why he hasn't had a lot of touches, but to your point, it's you know there's still plenty of tread on the tires, which is good. And he's he's a guy that's been as good as his volume. Uh, he's had uh, three games where he had over 20, uh, 20 carries. In those three games, 132 yards, 210 yards, 298 yards. So you give him the ball more than twenty times, he's been productive. Um, it's just a matter of can he, what kind of volume can he handle? Uh, but so yeah, blocking, I worry about the workload. I worry about the durability. I, wor- I worry about, but it's those, those Dalvin cook flashes that really make him worth the gamble, um, on some point on day three. So, um, I, I like that pick a lot. That's a good one. I would go, I'm going to go with James Robinson from Illinois state. Um, this is one of those guys that does have a lot of carries. Uh, he's, had over, gosh, he was like 360-some uh, carries as a senior. Um, so touched the ball a lot. Had 1,900 yards. Uh, he's really, really productive. He's a guy that will wear out the defense. Illinois State in the playoffs, FCS playoffs last year, they just wore him out. Uh, but he he was up to the task. I mean, he set the tone physically. Um, he's taken a lot of punishment. So, you know, you do worry about that. Uh, but he's a proven workhorse. I, I really like his vision. Um, he's a little more quicker than fast, which showed at the combine, uh, ran the four sixes, but he also had uh, a 40 inch uh, vert. Uh, his, his short shuttles, three cone were respectable. So if I'm going to pick a running back uh, somewhere on day three, James Robinson to me would be one of those guys. Can I can I dangle out another name just for fun at running back? I also sure. like, you know, another kind of guy who didn't have a ton of uh, a workload is Jamichael Hasty at Baylor. Um, you know, mm. senior bowl guy. 
but I I think he's a lot of fun too, just in terms of say, turning on the film and going. There's some burst right there. Uh, I just wanted to throw Jamichael Hasty's name out there as well. That's a guy. Yeah, I, I wish he I wish he broke more tackles. Yeah, you know, like it seems like any oh, any time sure. a defender kind of made contact, he'd go down. But you're right, open field athleticism. Uh, and then at the receiving skills was another thing that really popped on his tape. Uh, and then the coaches say that he plays a lot on special teams. So yeah, I, I agree that that's one. That's a guy in the later rounds that uh, it, for the right fit that would that would make a ton of sense. Uh, okay, so what about at receiver? Which, which direction are you going there? Well, I I actually put two guys here because the wide receiver class I, I found to be. <laughs> Hard to know. Like you can t- tell me a guy's going on day three, and you could go, oh, "Wait, he ended up going at pick ninety three. You know, like it's it's a very strange sure. wide receiver class. Um, but a guy I've liked from the beginning, John Hightower of Boise State. I realize the yeah. production is not not you know out of this world for him, but I think he's a guy who could possibly find his way to the darkness in around four or five, just because the speed's there. Um, he's going to bring something to your offense, a new dynamic for a fun offense, a creative offense that wants to get involved with some screens and some you know jet sweeps and things like that. He's got returnability, but the speed is out of this world and the shiftiness is there when he's got the ball in his hands will bring return of, uh, ability. I think you know you have questions about drops. I think you have questions about. Uh, you know, he's got to win early in the route. You know, if it's, if he's running, right. you know, if he's running right into a defender, he's, he has a hard time, you know, getting away. Um, but I, I do think he's a guy who, if we're talking about this crowded wide receiver class, you start looking at traits and looking at the speed and what he can bring to a very fun offense. I love him on on round four, round five, that area. If, if he uh, if he lasts that long, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I, I've People that read my stuff know how much I like Hightower. I talked about him as a potential top 50 guy at the beginning of the season. Um, now, that didn't materialize. A part of that is uh, there's a little bit of character stuff behind the scenes. Um, so that that is something to keep in mind uh, with Hightower. But I think everything you said is, is spot on. Uh, speed uh, is the calling card there. Um, he's he's kind of – he's got a little bit of a poor man's Will Fuller to him with how he can win. Um so there's there, there are definitely things to like there, and for the right fit, for if you're looking for that type of receiver, yeah, I think that'd be good value early early day three. I'm gonna go with uh, James Prochet from SMU, who I, this guy just he is so much fun to watch. Um, and think about all the talent that SMU has uh, churned out at receiver with Emmanuel Sanders and Corton Sutton, and uh, you know there's there's a couple more guys on that list that. Uh, yeah, there you go. Could that have made it to the NFL? Um, and nobody in SMU history has more more catches, uh, more receiving yards, more receiving touchdowns, more all-purpose yards uh, than this guy. Uh, he, he's a little undersized, but he plays a lot bigger than he looks. He's he's a, I, I call him a king size competitor, and that, that's how he acts. That's how he plays the game. Um, and you watch his tape. It's it's like the difficulty level is on high with some of these catches. It's pretty remarkable with his hands. Uh, I mean, it's really, really uh, impressive to watch him go to work and do his thing. Led the FBS in catches this past year. Um, he doesn't lack for confidence, and I think that that really sh- uh, rubs off on his teammates. Talking to uh, talking to some of his teammates about that, that's something they really talked about is just how his his presence would help in the huddle on the sideline. Uh, in the locker room, and that's the type of good thing you're looking for with him. Now, again, he's 
not the biggest guy, average framed. Um, you know, he's he's not going to win as many contested catches in the NFL uh, because of that size, because he's got shorter arms, um, doesn't have that huge catch radius. But I still, I will take, I, I will bet on a guy like this. And he's, he, we know he's going to be overlooked. He's not going to go until day three. But I, w- I would definitely take the chance on this guy. You know where I like him, uh, and the team I cover, the Cowboys. You know, with Randall Cobb signing with Houston, they need a you know a slot wide receiver. Uh, but I'm mm. not going to say the Cowboys. You know where I I love him as a fit. I think he would be great in Tampa Bay. And you mentioned the confidence, Oof. the demeanor that he brings. But you think about what they have with Godwin and Mike Evans. You throw yeah. someone in there to kind of work underneath a little bit. Not that that's all he is. Um, right, but right. A tough guy, competitive. Like you said, do small catch radius. He's going to need an accurate quarterback. And I know Tom Brady's accuracy has died off a little bit over the years, but he's also had some targets in New England that haven't been able to get open very much. I think Prochet is a wide receiver three in Tampa Bay on round three would be uh, in day three would be so good for that offense. Um, I just couldn't help that's, but think about that fit that. and thinking yeah. about him. Uh, can well, I tell yeah, because when you look at the Buccaneers offense, who who's the Edelman? You know, who's the – uh, who's that guy that underneath target out of the slot? Because I don't think they really have that right now. They, you know, they've you know, Godwin and Evans are are the big guys, and then besides that, it's it's pretty lean. Uh, the rest of the roster, um, you know, they've they've got a few guys that they've drafted in recent years, like Justin Watson and uh, you know, guys like that. But that that would make a ton of sense, especially when the the price tag is going to be a fourth or fifth rounder for Prochet. I, I like that fit a lot. That's that's a, that's a good call. Yeah, and if you wanted to throw Duvernay in there too, uh, you know, KJ Hill might make a lot of sense, you know, uh, in those mm-hmm. areas for, for Tampa Bay. But I was thinking about that. They do need a guy who can kind of work a little bit. And they do have Cameron Bright and OJ Howard, but I, you know how Tom Brady operates and you know they need that underneath type of guy. I, I do want to throw out one more wide receiver real quick. I know we've got a lot of positions yep. to get to. Uh, Gabriel Davis from Central Florida. Um, I don't yeah. really know how you feel about him, but I, I'm a little opposite than my first pick in John Hightower. This is a bigger guy at 6'2". He ran a 4.54 at the Combine, and the first thing that I wrote down in my notes when I watched him is he looks like he can run fast once he gets going down the field. And he's a you know yeah. down-the-field threat, go uh, go jump ball, 50-50 type guy. Um, I don't know how open he's going to get at the intermediate levels, but – I really like how he attacks the football, you know, down the field when you're throwing it up to him. So it's kind of a big wide receiver on the outside day three name as Gabriel Davis from uh, Central Florida. Yeah, no, I think you you, you hit on him perfect. Yeah, he's I think he's going to have a tougher time getting open versus NFL corners, but he's a natural high pointer. Um, you love the catch radius, the the mentality, that my ball mentality that he has. So, yeah, I think that because of the glut of receivers, there's a good chance he would fall uh, to day three. But uh, I think he's, in most years, he's a top 100 pick. So I like that. All right, what about tight end? What do you got? Charlie Tumopea from Portland State. Okay. Look, uh, he's he's your H-back tight end uh, move guy, right? He's my undersized tight end guy who can kind of play everywhere. You know, maybe he comes into an offense as a tight end three, uh, you mm-hmm. know, or a hybrid, you know, just because he can, you know, play anywhere. Um, first of all, Portland State, I have a lot of respect for that football program uh, after they laid the lumber on my North Texas Mean Green a few years ago. So every time there's a Portland State prospect, I really pay close attention to them. You know, I've got him, you know, fifth, sixth, sixth round type of option. Um, I don't know, a lot of people probably have a PFA on him. Uh, you know, four seven five forty came in and ran a pretty good three cone drill right there at seven. Look, he's undersized, but what I like about him, he, he gives you a little something after the catch. 
Um, and he can get up the seams if you need it, but he showed that he can, you know, kind of be a, a target over the middle. Again, 6'2", 240. He's undersized. He's not your right. classic tight end, but – you know, for a lot of these offenses that I'm I'm trying to create, at least if I'm in charge, I'm not looking for that big lumbering tight end. You know, I want guys who can right. move around a little bit. And I, I like that he can do that. Play outside, play in the slot, play as the wing back, play in line if you need him to. Uh, that's kind of my small school special there, Charlie Tumopea, Portland State. Yeah, and I really like that uh, he was productive against uh, FBS opponents when they played him. Obviously, mm-hmm. Portland State playing in the big sky didn't play – Top competition, but uh, the last three or last uh, two years uh, against three FBS opponents, Nevada, he went three for 130 and two touchdowns. Oregon, five for 125 and two touchdowns. And then against Arkansas, four for 56 and one touchdown. So when they face better competition, he's a guy that showed up. And so that gives you uh, a little bit of promise uh, as you project him forward coming from a smaller school. I'm going with uh, Devin Asiasi from UCLA, yes. who I think's uh, probably going to be in the fourth round. Um, didn't test off the charts. He was he was okay. He was average. Um, I think he's just he's just a solid player. Uh, he quickly enters his routes. He's got a little bit of sync in his routes. Uh, he can settle down in zones. Uh, pretty reliable, um, whether he's open or whether it's in traffic. Um, he's not he's not shy banging as a blocker. Uh, he can be kind of the aggressor in the run game. So you like that. Uh, it doesn't have anything that really screams playmaker, but he's very well-rounded, like the ball skills, um, like his blocking potential. And so for, for a guy like that, I think he can, you know, can be a, a tight end too. And a guy that can, you know, work up the depth chart. Absolutely. No, I, I like Dostoevsky a lot. That was, uh, and I had him, you know, just like that. I had a fourth round grade on him as well. Um, you know, okay. d- yeah. different, different player, not a comparison, but kind of the same traits that Dalton Schultz gave you from Stanford a few years ago. Um, okay. just kind of well-rounded can kind of do a little bit of everything, maybe want a little more as a blocker, but willing to do it, you know, um, that's, that's kind of what I had on Devin Asiasi. I mean, I, the tight end class is not top heavy at all, but I, I, I do like it a lot more than I thought I was going to like it. Um, hmm. when you start looking at some of these names, you know, I mean, I know you're a big Troutman fan. Um, oh, yeah. I, I love Troutman as well. Uh, Bryson Hopkins from Purdue is a guy I like. I don't know if that's a day, day three guy or not. He's probably on that third, fourth, fifth round range, you know. Um, mm-hmm. but it feels like tight ends, you know, how many teams are, are really going out of their way to draft tight ends? Now, last year we saw a tight end go top 10 in Hawkinson, right? Uh, and then. Right. You know, there's some some teams that I look at just where the league is going, and I, I just – my usefulness for the tight end position is not what it once was, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. And uh, to your point, just it's it's not a great class, but it, it, it is a solid class. There are some some solid players. Uh, okay, let's move to the offensive line. Um, at tackle, I am going – I'm cheating a little bit here because I think I like this guy better at guard, but I'm going to list him as a tackle just because I don't – to be honest, I don't love a lot of these day three tackles this year. I think it's going to uh, – uh, like if you would have asked me this a couple months ago, I would have said Matt Parrott from UConn, but just I, I don't think he makes it to day three. Um, he can go in the second round possibly. Um, just teams are looking for that type of uh, tackle. Uh, so I'm going to go with uh, Hakeem Adenajay, 
from Kansas who played left tackle uh, the last three years, last four years at Kansas. But I think he's going to be better inside a guard. Uh, but like I said, I'm going to cheat a little bit here. I, I, he doesn't have the, 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 like the natural power where he's just going to overwhelm guys. But when his technique was consistent, he got the job done because he's a good enough athlete. Um, I think he could be a, a swing tackle uh, and then maybe be, uh, you know, a guy that can work in at guard as well. That versatility is key with him. And I think he's going to go somewhere probably early day three and provide a lot of versatility for an offensive line. Just ridiculous wingspan with him uh, and from Garland, Texas yeah. as well. Uh, but uh, yeah. yeah, no, I, I like him a lot. I've got a fifth round grade on him, but he's a guy I, you know, uh, have liked uh, you know, from the beginning all the way through the process. For me, I'm going to go with the guy I texted you about last night because I really didn't have a feel on, you know, what the league thinks about him. Alex Taylor, uh, South Carolina State. I mean, 6'8", 310, 36-inch arms. Um, look, the, the typical things that you would expect out of a 6'8 guy, like he's he's going to have some issues getting low and things like that. But, you know, I think he moves pretty good for a guy who's 6'8", all things considered. I think he does – Try to bend his knees a little bit when he's playing. He plays hard. I, um, I think he's a developmental guy. I don't think you're asking him to come right. in and start immediately, but get that guy in your system. If you've got some contracts running out um, at the offensive tackle position, get him in your system there. Maybe he is a, able to play some swing tackle. Maybe you're able to get him some reps. But Alex Taylor's a guy I'm willing to take a chance on because those are freaky traits, and he moves better. It's not like he's. You know, moves like Orlando Brown, or Orlando Brown has 60 pounds on him, I guess. But, you know, for right. that 6'8 guy, it is going to look a little wiry of, to be just 3'10. But those arms are so long, he's able to keep defend, uh, defenders off of him. I, I I can't help but like him when I watch the tape, even though it kind of hey, was a fun a, watch, <laughs> you know? Yeah, he's interesting. He's got a weird background because he – he didn't. He, he's always been a basketball first guy. Um, he, he averaged like 28 points per game in, in high school, and he didn't play football until his junior year. Uh, so he had only I think 17 games under his belt at football um, b- before he went to college. And he goes to App State. Didn't last very long there. And he actually transferred to South Carolina State as a basketball player. And then after a year playing basketball, he's like, okay, well, I'm going to go back to football. And so he's only played football uh, in the last two years. Uh, at South Carolina State. So this guy is as raw as sushi. Uh, he, he is really uh, a developmental guy, like you said. But, I mean, to your point, the traits are intriguing. His his wingspan, 88 inches. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> uh, over 36-inch arms, and he tested fairly well for a guy that's that size. Uh, 509 in the 40-yard dash. Um, you know, everything else was, was, was respectable. So yeah, there, there's, there's some ability there and I gave him a six round grade. Um, cause his game just, it, he's so raw. He's going to take some time. Um, but if you get him right, that's the type of developmental prospect, uh, that, that you want to bet on. So that's, that's, that's a good name, uh, to put out there. Okay. What about the interior? Let's, let's, we'll combine garden center, the interior offensive line. Who, uh, which day three prospect do you have your eye on? He's a bit of a jerk in between the lines, but Logan Stenberg from Kentucky is my guy here. Oh, I just like go. the mentality that he plays with. I mean, he's going to get some penalties and things like that, but the attitude for that guy going to go play guard. Uh, I like those guys who are mean. I was in love with Will Hernandez a couple years ago. 
Um, I, I just, I, I really a big fan of Logan Stenberg from Kentucky. The traits aren't going to blow you away. Not the most athletic guy in the world, but he's a guy who, when you watch him play, you can see him finish. You'll see that he's mean, and you'll see that he understands angles when he's run blocking. And I think that's very important, you know, controlling your body and making sure you, that you keep your shoulders square and things like that. So I'm a fan of Stenberg from Kentucky as a, you know, day three type of guy on a otherwise kind of underwhelming, you know, interior offensive line class. But Stenberg's mm-hmm. a guy I really like from round four, round five. Yeah, no, that's a good one. I've, I've got him in the fifth. Uh, that makes sense. And I think this uh, this guard class, I think, has some some really interesting names on day three. Kevin Dotson from Louisiana, Cameron Clark from Charlotte, I Danny like him, Pinter yeah. from Ball State. Um, I think there's a lot of interesting names. I'm going to go with a guy that's a little bit off the radar, Kyle Hinton from Washburn. Uh, Division right. two representing. Uh, this is a guy that played left tackle uh, the last three years, but 6'2", 295. Uh, he's going to be moving uh, to, to probably to center. And this guy is an athlete uh, in his pro day, 4'8", in the 40, 34 and a half inch vert, uh, 466 short shuttle, 770, three cone. And he finished, uh, he, he finished, uh, I think his top, top 10 or uh, in the NCAA uh, indoor championships in, in the weight throw. Uh, he's a big time track guy. So, you know, he's got some explosiveness to him uh, with that, some of that power and watching him on film. I love the quickness. Uh, he he love the leverage that he plays with very natural opening his hips, moving laterally uh, He's able to adjust with his angles. He's very aware, very smart, uh, looks run his feet once he makes contact. So there's a lot working for him. And so I, he's going to face a big jump in uh, competition going from D2 to the NFL. He's also going to have to change uh, positions. He's only played left tackle. So there's a, definitely projection there. But his athletic traits, his intelligence, those are the foundation things that I'm looking for for a guy that um, I, I want to develop. So I think he's a, a low-risk, high-reward uh, center that I could probably get in the seventh round. So Kyle Hinton from Washburn, a name to remember. Gosh, I'm glad you gave a Washburn prospect. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, let's go with the defense. Um, start with pass rusher. Uh, is there someone on day three in this pass rushing group that really you like more than others? I'm, I'm not you know nuts about any of these guys. Who I Daryl Taylor from Tennessee would be my guy, but. Uh, I think okay. we've probably talked about him a little bit, so I, I, I do want to skip him just in case he. There's a chance he winds up on day three. Let's make sure we get a for sure day three guy. Let's go with Travis Gibson from Tulsa, uh, senior yeah, bowl call. guy. Had eight sacks last year. Long arms, not the most bendy guy, and that's probably my biggest concern with him is I don't know how flexible he is. He had a hammy at the combine, so he didn't do the three cone. His pro day three cone time was very concerning. Um, seven five seven. Yeah. But I do think he can give you some versatility, too. And at Tulsa, they bumped him inside every once in a while. He's going to have to add a little weight, I think, if he's going to bump inside uh, in the NFL. But I think he's a guy who kind of can give you that kind of carry hider type, you know, rotational piece. Come in, play some mm. defensive end, and maybe give you a little burst off the edge, play with his length. Um, so Travis Gibson from, from Tulsa is a guy I like. Yeah, that's that's a good name and a, a guy that really helped himself throughout the process with what he did at the Senior Bowl. Um, 
And he he creates knockback at the point of attack. Uh, he's a really mean dude. He's just it, it, like you kind of alluded to the the high center of gravity uh, leads to balance issues. Not a great bender, um, and that that'll hurt him both as a pass rusher and in the run game. So, uh, but I, you have a guy that's he's got that contact driven mentality, that physical nature, the long arms. Yeah, those are the types of the traits that you that you bet on, um, especially on day three. So. Um, I, I like that a lot. That makes a lot of sense. I'm going to go with a little bit of an, maybe a little bit of an opposite type guy. Um, Kenny Willekes from Michigan State. He, he he doesn't have the traits necessarily that you uh, are looking for at, at the pass rusher position. Uh, you know, he's a little lacking in terms of uh, his length, in terms of uh, just the natural athletic traits. He's not a you know, a, a bad athlete, I'll say, but he's just very average athletically. And so, and that showed up in his testing, which was expected. Uh, former walk-on who uh, just kind of, he's always smashed expectations. Uh, you know, he's always been doubted, always been counted. Uh, no one's been counting for him. And, and he is able to exceed those expectations. And I think there's a good chance he could do it again uh, in the NFL. I don't think that he has necessarily the anchor or the length to be a consistent edge rusher or edge setter, I should say. Um, and that, you know, it's, it's going to be tough for him to, for offensive tackles uh, with those long arms, it's gonna be tough to keep those guys off him, but he's got that resilient mentality, the competitive motor. I think that translates. And so for a guy that I can get probably in the fifth round, I'm going to add him to my defensive line rotation, bring him in on in sub packages. And I think you just bring, bring a lot of juice to my defensive line. And I, I don't think he's going to be an expensive prospect on draft day. Yeah. I think he's like perfect backup defensive end. Like I think he's someone yeah. that you would want on your depth chart for sure. Uh, yeah, that makes you, sense. You going to go DT here. Yeah. What do you got? Uh, McTelvin, Ajim from uh, Arkansas. You took my guy. Oh, I took same guy. Um, yeah, no, go with them. That's that. That's. I'm, I'm glad you're going to talk about him. Well, he's he's very fun. You watch, you know, the Arkansas tape, and you go, okay, well, there's consistently one guy who's beating everyone else off the line of scrimmage. I mean, <laughs> right. number one trait is he is firing off the ball uh, at all costs and and quicker than everyone else right off the line. I do worry about him settling in there, anchoring down, you know, as a run player. Um, I got him at 6'3", 310, I believe, on my latest measurements. Um, you know, he, he, he put on weight, though, to, to move inside. Mm-hmm. This guy was a defensive end, a guy that's added weight. And that's, that's something that I think you got to give a little bit of leeway when you watch the tape. If you can kind of understand that and piece it together and meet with him and talk to him about that experience, you know, playing inside. But I think he's a very fun day three defensive tackle guy. I think he adds a little pocket pushing. I think he can, you know, get after the quarterback a little bit from the inside, you know, uh, rushing the passer. Again, uh, you know, Malik Collins type traits, you know, getting off the ball quick and pushing forward, but might, you know, give up a little bit in the run game. Um, but I, I like him from, from Arkansas, McTelvin Ajim. And McTelvin's a great first name, too. It is. And he, yeah, he was a spark plug for that defense. Uh, and he, he would make a lot of plays just on effort alone. You know, he's, he's pursuing from the backside. Uh, he's chasing. Um, yeah, I agree with what you said about uh, his ability to anchor, his ability to easily shed once he's locked up. Not the most technically sound guy. So you would like to see him improve his consistency versus the run. But uh, he moves like a much smaller player. And that active play style, uh, he can be that rotational 
under tackle in, in a four-man front. So, yeah, I think that's a good name. Fourth, fifth round is probably where he's going to come off the board. I'm going to go with uh, – since you took my guy, I got to pivot here. I'm going to go with uh, I'm gonna go with Malcolm Roach from Texas. Uh, this is a guy who's just – he looks like a madman out there. Uh, and now, at the same time, I think he needs to – uh, be more efficient with his gas tank a little bit because he'll he'll expend all his energy on these wild plays that don't lead to production. So he'll then disappear for a little bit uh, because he's worn himself out. So I think he needs to be a little more efficient with how he expends his, his energy. But uh, he's a guy that I, I think there's going to be some position confusion uh, with, you know, teams are going to be, I don't, I don't know where to play him because he's got short arms. Um, you know, is he an inside guy? He played linebacker and defensive end at Texas. Um, so I, you know, I think there's going to be some, I'm not sure what to do with them, uh, type of questions from NFL teams, but the flashes are promising. Uh, I mean, he can crash down. He can be that one gap penetrator, uh, and just be part of a rotation, uh, on the inside. So, uh, I, I like Malcolm Roach at six, two, just right around 300 pounds as a guy that can be a little bit of a home wrecker. Now that's a, he. He was a fun player to watch, and then I agree with you though. But my big takeaway on Malcolm Roach was, I just don't know what to do with him right now. Like I don't <laughs> exactly. know what to do. Is he a three? I I, I don't know. You know, and over there, t- I have him at two ninety five. I don't know what he weighed in at the combine, but uh, two ninety seven. Yeah, two ninety seven. So yeah, I, I I that's where I have big question marks. But again, day three guy who's gonna wreck havoc. You know, make right. a little chaos. I feel like watching his tape was sometimes like watching a car chase. You're just kind of like, I don't know what's going to happen <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah, and <laughs> he was, when you watch that Texas tape, uh, he was one of the only guys on that defense that you could really rely on, that be yeah. consistent. Um, you know, just, uh, and, and, and you bring him to the NFL, you're not going to ask him to play, uh, you know, full snaps. You're not going to ask him to play even 50% snaps. You, you know, you get him on the field 30, 40% of the defensive snaps. And, you know, you know, I, th- I think that would really help him get the most out of him. Um, all right, let's go back to linebacker, or go up to linebacker. Um, I'm going to go with, I'm going to keep it in Texas. I'm going to go to Baylor, Clay Johnston uh, from Baylor, who is a guy that's kind of out of sight, out of mind because uh, wasn't able to work out at the combine. Because he uh, had ACL back in October, so kind of his career at, at Baylor was ended prematurely. But before that injury, he was in the midst of an All-American type of season. Uh, he was uh, he, he was really impressed. He was uh, the last two years combined. He's averaging eight point seven tackles uh, per year. He's a guy that just the the, the hustle just never stops. Love uh, his ability to chase the football. Um, even when he has a, a misstep, he's able to quickly uh, regain himself, get back on course. Um, he's uh, He's got some fluidity to him. I think he can get better in coverage. Um, I, I worry about the durability. He hasn't been able to stay healthy. But if you tell me that he – if my doctors saw him at the combine, they give me two thumbs up and say, you know, he just needs to play a little more a little more careful, doesn't have an indestructible body type, but he should be healthy, then I'm going to take I'm gonna take a chance on that heat-seeking missile and uh, his NFL toughness. And I think at the very worst, he's going to be a big special teams performer for me. Absolutely. You finally picked a guy who I haven't seen yet right there in Clay Johnston. Awesome. Well, hey. Add him to your list. No, I appreciate it. He's on the list now. Uh, Francis Bernard from Utah for me. Um, mm-hmm. And you know I love the Utah guys, Nane. So, uh, sure. look, I have problems that sometimes an offensive lineman is going to get to the second level and then he's going to collapse. But other than that, reliable tackler from what I saw on tape. 
and also a guy who can cover a little bit. He's an older prospect, and I know that scares people away sometimes. Has a couple character questions from an incident, but you yep, know at BYU. Yeah, at BYU. But other than you know being a little you know undersized, I think he can run. I think he can play special teams for you. And I, I like the guys who can just run and go tackle in the open field, and that's what he does. He can open field tackle, and he can cover a little bit as well. And he wants to play downhill. It doesn't always work out for him, but he wants to come downhill against the run and, and get involved. I, I think he plays with the right demeanor. And I think when you when you watch him and you see his ability to cover a little bit, I think to me he provides a little value. And, again, special teams is going to work some of these linebackers on day three end up – you know, making their hay anyways. But I kind of like him. I got a round five situation on Francis Bernard. Yeah, I think we see him pretty similar. And he's a guy that I wouldn't be shocked at all if, uh, you know, he's he's a rookie backup who then uh, competes for starting reps because yeah, that aggressive mentality as a run defender, especially, uh, he's, he has some promising reps and coverage. So um, I'm on board with that. Um, let's move to corner anybody at corner on day three that uh, that you really like more than others? I have two guys, and these are two of my favorite players in the draft. And if uh, if one of them went in the third round, I guess I wouldn't be surprised. And if one of them went in the sixth round, I wouldn't be surprised, which sounds weird. But I, I do think that the opinions on both of these players are probably going to be skewed a little bit. We'll start with Amik Robertson of Louisiana Tech. Obviously, he's got yep. the, the groin that we have to really check in on, and teams are really going to have to get to the bottom of how uh, debilitating that injury is, but 14 interceptions in three years, and he plays... The ball production. The ball production's right. incredible, and, and even though he's a little guy, he doesn't play like that. Like, you don't... Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, he's got a little bulldog in him, and uh, I really like Amik Robertson from Louisiana Tech, but, you know, for him, I think draft position comes strictly down to the medicals. And then my, my other, you know, and again, these are two of my favorite guys in the entire draft, Dan. Reggie Robinson from Tulsa, I really like. Yeah. And he's way different, 6'2". Yeah. yeah, taller guy, but I really love Reggie Robinson. I, I've got a third-round grade on Reggie Robinson, so maybe I'm cheating a little bit. So you're cheating. But but I, I just wanted to make sure that my guy is getting enough love because I, I really <laughs> think he's deserving to be a day-two pick who will probably go yeah. on day three because he played at Tulsa. My favorite tape is the tape against Oklahoma State, against Tylen Wallace when Tylen Wallace was healthy. Um, there's a play down the field and he breaks up, you know, Tylen Wallace almost hauls it in and Reggie Robinson is just turning his head and fighting for the ball and relentless and long arms everywhere. And he ends up, you know, using the sideline as leverage and makes it a tough catch on Tylen Wallace and ends up knocking the ball out. I I just, he, again, is he going to come up and play the run? Not really. Uh, but I, I do think he is a guy who is deserving to go, on the second day of the draft, he'll probably fall to round four. Yeah, and I'll, I'll be honest. I didn't consider either of those two because I have them both in the third round. Oh, I uh, cheated. Okay. So, All right. Yeah, no, no. But I'm glad that there are two names that are worth mentioning. Uh, Amik Robertson, the ball production is just remarkable. Um, and, you know, he's a guy that, you know, growing up kind of right outside Baton Rouge, he – he uh, looked up to uh, Tyron Matthew, really developed that ball hawking mindset. Um, and so, you know, he he's a guy that had an offer from LSU, uh, but he stayed true to his original commitment and went to Louisiana Tech and uh, did that over offers from LSU, from Oklahoma State, from Texas. 
so, you know, this is a guy that could have played at a higher level, but he chose to go to Louisiana Tech and he made the most of his three years there. Uh, pretty remarkable. Um, I'm going to go with one of my favorite uh, day three guys in this draft and going to Penn State. Um John Reed All right. uh, from from Penn State, who's a little undersized. He's 5'10", buck 90. Uh, he also has some injury stuff in his background, had an ACL um, what, two years ago, missed the 2017 season. But this is a guy who I I, I really I really like. Um, I, I think that uh, and his short area quickness is what I love about him. You watch him uh, man up uh, and, and press, and he just he, he's sticky. He, he stays attached to receivers uh, up and down the field. And so it wasn't a surprise when he ran. Uh, I think he had the fastest short shuttle in this year's at this year's combine three nine seven, which. Anything close to four is pretty silly, and he got under four. Uh, six nine five in the three cone, four four nine in the forty was average. Um, but that short area quickness is what I'm betting on. That fluidity that he offers, that stay on top of routes, uh, he can really squeeze receivers. And so the lack of size, the lack of length, that that shows up. And that's why we're talking about him as a. He's probably not going to go into the fifth or sixth, and so that that small framed corner won't be for everybody. But the man cover skills, I love. The lower body athleticism, I love. The competitive ball skills, I love. Um, and just talking to people at Penn State, they tell me he's a pretty smart guy. So to me, that's an NFL roster worthy player that I would be targeting uh, somewhere fifth, sixth round. I had a fourth round grade on him, and I was actually considering adding oh, him, perfect. but I just wanted to give my guys, Amik Robertson and Reggie Robinson, some love. Because you know, another guy who kind of get, gets talked about, I think, a lot, and he was at the Senior Bowl, which makes sense, is Darnay Holmes from UCLA. And I have John yep. Reed graded higher than Darnay Holmes. Which might be Love it. Shocky to, shocking to some people, but I, I really like John Reed, so I'm glad you went there, man. That's that's awesome. Well, it sounds like we're yeah we're on the same page when it comes to these corners. Uh, we, we like a lot of the same guys, and so uh, not not surprised. That, that's three really good names there. Uh, okay, what about safety? Final position. Who's your day three guy at safety position? His speed does concern me, but I do have a little bit of uh, love for Jalen Elliott at Notre Dame. Kind of my poor man's okay. Taylor Rapp type of guy. Um, he just he again the four eight at the combine is going to stick out like a sore thumb. Rough. And little rough. It's gonna it's gonna make people nervous, but you know honestly, I thought he had a pretty good Senior Bowl week. Uh, from what I saw, I wasn't mm-hmm. there at the Senior Bowl this year, but from what I saw, I thought he had a pretty good week at the Senior Bowl matching up with some of those tight ends. Um, again, we're talking day three, we're talking round six, but this is kind of where I'm talking about. I think he's a guy who can help you in, on special teams as well. And again, the speed concerns are there, but you know, I'm looking at a guy who can go be a good tackler and be a strong safety. I, I'm a fan of Jalen Elliott, you know, late on day three. Yeah, I agree about the senior bowl. He was one of the few guys that could cover uh, Troutman uh, in one-on-ones. He, he really did a nice job and helped himself. Uh, all that momentum that he got at the senior bowl, I don't I don't know what happened to it at the combine, if he lost all of it because of some of those poor times, but he at least has that senior bowl tape to fall back on uh, that he can point to. Um, I'm going to go with Geno Stone from Iowa, uh, who's probably going to be in the fourth, fifth round. Uh, a really instinctive player, got a quick trigger. Uh, he, he tracks the football really well. Uh, very uh, reliable tackler. He calms his feet, comes to balance, finishes, uh, explodes through his target without sacrificing his balance. Um, I think he's just, he's, 
does lack a size because he's, he's under he's about 510 207 uh the athleticism is average and so that's why we're talking about him as a day three guy but he's very smart he's not going to make a lot of mental mistakes um he just he's got a guy you can rely on and so at worst i think he's a a sub package guy special teams guy uh who's going to contribute and be a kind of core core backup and then you know i i, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for him pushing for a starter job down the road. So uh, Geno Stone would be my guy, uh, day three safeties. Excellent. Man, I feel like we've done great work Boom. here. I've had a lot of fun talking about these guys because, I mean, like for me, I'm covering the Cowboys all the time. We are kind of locked into a lot of, hey, who are they going to take at 17? And who are they going to take at 51? Uh, it's always great to talk about these guys. You're going to go at 174, you know? I, I like doing that. Right. Man. Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, we we I think we touch on a lot of good names that you know maybe don't get enough love. So I'm happy we did that. Um, and you know, KT, I appreciate you uh, hopping on this week. It, it was great to uh, catch up with you, and we will have to do it again before the draft. Absolutely, anytime you guys uh, need me at all, I'm around. Um, I enjoy doing this. I have a lot of fun talking draft at the end. Have for the last you know five or six years, of course, as well. Uh, back when you lived down here in Texas, but. Uh, uh, we're almost there, man. Three weeks away for now, assuming nothing crazy happens. Make sure everyone that goes to, uh, if you're not an athletic subscriber, make sure that you go to theathletic.com slash prospects to pros. You can get 40% off your athletic subscription. And with that is the grand prize. That is the beast, which Dane, we're looking at probably next week. Early next week, hopefully Monday. Early next week, the beast is there. Well, for Dane Brugler, for our producer, Kent Garrison, I'm Kevin Turner. Chris Burke will be back next time for another edition of Prospects to Pros.